Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Vicar. That's it. Hopefully. Just us today. <laughs> Ber- Berg's not able to make it this week, and uh, I... Uh, Peter's bird kind of doing it in an earlier time. Peter will be joining us when he can. Apparently, he has a job that that uh, sometimes keeps him. So I don't know. What's the deal with that? I know, right? Priorities. This is a worldwide podcast, Peter. Come on. Exactly. For what we're paying you? Oh wait. <laughs> what are we paying him again? No. <laughs> so it's just you and me, no Berg, and uh, kind of give you a heads up what we're doing today. Vicar has has done a public service to all the pastors because I know many of you pastors realizing that Lent comes a little early this year. You some you hit the pre-Lent weeks and all of a sudden you're, oh no. It is very early this year. Yeah. Yeah. I got two Sneaking weeks. Up in you. I got two weeks. So what we've done done is Vicar is going to to share to the, the clerical heirs classroom here. Uh his uh, midweek services so that you can steal off of his work. Uh, Vicar doesn't mind if you claim it as your own. No, that's okay. That's I'm okay. holding all things in common for this, this that's in right. particular instance. Yeah, open source here. That's right. Right. Well, we're not like Concordia Publishing House that demands all these royalties and stuff. No. And besides, you're just a vicar. I mean, you, <laughs> that's right. you're getting what you pay for. <laughs> yeah. Everything free is worth what you pay for it. So if you don't have uh, your midweek Lenten series ready, Vicar's done all the, the hard work. And you can take take what he has and just use it for your own. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So uh, in the meantime, you have a beverage there. What do you got there again? Yeah, I've got Laphroaig again. Laf- uh, I, I only... I mean, I only have anything to drink when I come to this podcast, so you'll probably be hearing about it for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I will be worried that like, if every week you have a different bottle of something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so this is a vicar heavy day today because this episode, because you're preaching too. That, oh, yeah. I am preaching, aren't I? Yeah. I suppose I should pull Yeah, I've up. actually read the sermon, so... I'm pretty sure you are. And I gave it the go-ahead. So you indeed are preaching. I've heard that uh, th- that some uh, supervisors do this. How would you like this, Vicar? Where every week the Vicar has to write a sermon. And then after he write, writes a sermon, the supervisor decides whether he gets to preach it. That sounds like great practice. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I would like that, right. but I'm sure somebody out there does. Right. <laughs> So, so uh, Vicar, what are you preaching on? So I'm preaching, it's sexagesima. So I'll be preaching on uh, the parable of the sower, mm-hmm. right? I'm mainly going to be pulling on the old, the uh, epistle lesson, which is Hebrews 4, 9 through 13. Uh, I'll read that. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever he has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I'm mainly playing with this idea that the word of God is living and active. And I'm sort of taking that theme and going through each of the readings to tease out how these are, are playing on that theme, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me guess what you mean by the word of, of God is living and active. That means that we should expect to speak in tongues, right? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Does that mean, I know what you mean then. That That's not what it means. That's a living, you know, word where we can really feel the spirit. If that's not what you mean, I know what you mean. You, you mean that uh, when the word of God is living and active, much like a uh, a living, breathing document of our U.S. Constitution, where, where it kind of molds and shapes where we are now, right? Is that what uh, you mean? Uh, not exactly. No. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, more, more like, more like a person. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, when when we speak, right? We we can't really affect things. We can only really uh, encourage people to act upon our words. You know, like when somebody gives a speech or or you're listening to a lecture or whatever, their words only go so far in as much as you put them into practice, right? Mm-hmm. Now, God's word, when he speaks, things actually happen, right? He, right. he spoke and the waters parted. He spoke and the animals came forth from the dry ground. His word actually does what it sets out to do. Uh, by, by the way, do you know how you can tell how, how this works? And how that? we understand this as opposed to other religions? How's that? Like if you're... If you're Muslim, what kind of evangelism program do you have? A violent one. Right. You, you, you follow our religion or you're an infidel and we'll probably, we might try and kill you. Yeah. Not to say that all Muslims are there, but that's pretty much what the well, Quran says. Their holy book says to advance their, their religion by jihad. So Right. And, or other, when you think of all other religions that grow, mm-hmm. okay, a lot of it is through all sorts of means by which they want it to grow. It's interesting how how the word of God grows. We don't have any military power. And when we have tried to use political force and military power, it's never worked out very well because that's not what the way it works. When the Apostle Paul, for example, went against the largest empire that sought to kill him, he didn't go out with guns. Mm-hmm. He went out most of the time as a victim, being jailed, stoned, all those things. And he just had the word which changed hearts and minds that most powerful of governments could not stop. And so when you think of the, the word of God, it is more powerful than anything. And it is the one that truly the Holy Spirit uses to grow. And it is very effective and powerful, not in the way we always think of words. Um, we have some sense of that. And we think of, well, what's going to get our country out of this mire? There's a, a good portion that says, well, freedom of speech is the only thing that can Mm -hmm. save us in a way where the power of information and words are very helpful. But this takes it an infinite step beyond that, Mm -hmm. where the Holy Spirit actually uses those words to create death from life, uses those words to make dry bones rattle together with flesh appearing on them, life, skin appearing them, the breath of God entering them that they may live that kind of powerful and effective. Now, Jesus, in the parable that you will be preaching and also speaks of it in a way that is more subtle, you know, seed that is sown. But it's one of those things where we almost take it for granted how 
how a seed grows, how we just plant seed and expect it to grow. Mm -hmm. What does a seed do? By nature, a seed grows. That's what it does by nature. What does the Word of God do? It grows. And many things can certainly stop it or try to prevent it. You know, the thorns, the rocky soil, all those things. But ultimately, it is the Word of God that is powerful and effective in, in leading us and guiding us. So, yeah. Yeah, and the the other thing about the the uh the parable of the sower is sort of like the randomness with which he he kind of sows the seed, right? He lets some fall on the road. Right. Some go among the the, the gravel. Like seeds expensive. It, right. Why would you why would you let that happen? Right. But the thing is is that, you know, God doesn't send his word just willy-nilly wherever, but it goes with intention. And even when it when it goes along right. the road or whatever, there's a purpose for it. Maybe a purpose that we can't see, but there's a purpose there. Just in the same way that that seed, which then came to you, uh, was very purposeful and not random. Yeah. And the fact that it still grows in places you may not expect. Yeah. Um, and for us, we think of what is the cost. The farmer here does not consider the cost. He considers the outcome. And uh, I know I've said this before because this is one of my hobby horses on this text is the fact that you can ha- use this to be very pessimistic, thinking in this parable of all the ways that the word of God is is cut out, you know? Yeah, almost wasted, how some people talk about it. Right, yeah. wasted or, you know, because it shows all the ways that it can be ripped out of the soil or not have roots and all those things. You might get a pessimistic view, but I don't think it's pessimistic at all to consider uh, that God provides a harvest. At the end of the day, a harvest is brought in. Yeah. And um, a a sower doesn't sow these seeds to lose. The reason why I think that's important for us to remember in this way, it is very easy to be pessimistic, uh, to think of of heaven as kind of like the consolation prize. Like the devil gets almost everybody except for the church. And you think, well, at least, you know, we've got that. As though the harvest that God plants isn't greater than all the toil, all the pain, everything that the world goes through, everything that from the time of Adam and Eve until the very last day, all the pain, all the heartache, all the destruction, all the death, all the illness, all the hatred, all those things, you pile that into a a scale, you weigh it compared to the great harvest that God provides at the end of the day, uh, that infinitely is greater than the the tumult that is faced. God did not do this to lose. He didn't didn't, uh, uh, send his son into the world just for a small portion of a prize, did he? Right, yeah. He I mean, he's not going to lose. It, this sort of discussion reminds me of I'm trying to remember exactly where it is in Genesis when they're uh talking about when they they give uh the blessing of the coming Messiah and they say uh that he will he will guard the sheep gate, I think is the verbiage that it uses. Mm-hmm. But basically what it's talking about is, you know, he's the one who will let the right people in and keep the wrong yeah. people out, right? Right. He, He's going to be the one to make sure who's supposed to be right. here will be here. Right. The, the point is, this is the bride of Christ we're talking about. This is worth everything that is that the world goes through. You know, it's 
way greater than all of the things that we think of when it comes to death and hell and pain and all those things. You know, the sower sows and a great harvest, greater than all of that put together, 60, 100 fold. Yeah. I mean, what's, you know, what's 85 years of hardship for an eternal life with our maker and redeemer? Right. right? And, and what this parable does, it places everything on this grand scale, right? Yeah. This great victory includes all the failures along the way. It includes all the, the, the things that the devil throws at us. It includes everything. And what happens? A harvest is brought in. Now, that doesn't mean it serves as a, as a warning to, to sh- teach us of how the word of God can grow cold in the hearts and the minds of people. Oh, yeah. And all the things that is done to quiet that word of God. But nonetheless, the great harvest is worth it all. And Jesus didn't die to lose. You know, he didn't rise for just like a little victory in the midst of death and hell. He did it for the great and final victory that that he brings in his everlasting kingdom. And it's all worth it. It's all greater than everything else. The, the, tail, the scale tips in the, the, the right way. And even though it might feel, it might be disheartening for the Christian in the pew to worry about all those who have fallen away and even family members or loved ones who have fallen away and to think, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in God's word and I'm going to know that the harvest is great. The harvest is worth all of that. The hardest, harvest is uh, why Christ came to this world, why God made a promise even to Adam and Eve in the garden. All the heartache the children of Israel went through and, and preparing that see that God prepared for the Savior to come. It's all not for loss. It's not for the Leah of this world. <laughs> it's for the grand prize. <laughs> and, and it's worth it. And so be encouraged, fellow Christians, in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes right into the, the Sabbath rest that the Hebrews reading talks about, where... God worked and then he rested on the seventh day. Now we are working and we will be entered into the Sabbath rest with him. Yeah. Yeah. So be encouraged by this text and be encouraged that the word of God is living and active. And the fact that it ends in a great harvest and a victory should encourage you to not give up and and to uh, to not, uh, as you mentioned, in, in your sermon that you've written, we, we tend to like think, oh, maybe uh, the rock band up front or the big screen yeah. is, is good. Is what's, that's what's going to do it. No, it's the word of God. It is powerful and effective. It is a two-edged sword. It is a seed by which that God promises to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so don't, don't think that if you add a f- some rocks to the soil, <laughs> that's going to that's gonna make the harvest better. <laughs> Plain words there. That was good. I like that. <laughs> All right, so Vicar, did you want anything else that I would we miss? No, I th- I think we hit on all my points. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I said, "What are you preaching on?" And then I preach a sermon. So it goes. So when, when Berg's not here, I kind of get amped up. I get myself mentally prepared to really, really hit it hard. Really hit it hard. So I have a question, Vicar. I I might have an answer. Okay. All right. So, uh, coming up, uh, a week from the airing of this episode, there's a big game, right? Yes. Yes. Which, what's the name of the game? The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. And I ask, who's playing in that game? Has it been decided yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's the, isn't it the Kansas City Chiefs? That's one of them. 
Yeah, yeah, because you're a, you're a Swifty, so yeah, you know that. I'm totally a Swifty. Yeah, I don't remember who the other people are. I knew that was you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Was it like the 49ers or something? The 49ers, yes. Okay. Yes, Brock Purdy, the pride of Iowa State. I can't believe you live in Iowa and you don't know about this story. Mr. Irrelevant, the last person taken in the draft, two years later, leading the 49ers into the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah. So you got to know your people. This is true. You got to know your people are going to be consumed. And by the way, I've invited you to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, we'll be there. 120 inch screen in my home theater. You excited? I'm very excited. Not too often you get to watch. Now that you know that the the teams are. Yeah, it's not too often you get to watch Taylor Swift's boyfriend on a 122 inch TV. (laughs) (laughs) So that you can watch the neat commercials, right? That's right. Yeah. So what I've done is because I knew you wouldn't know. I know my Vickers, right? I knew you would know who's in the Super Bowl, right? So what I'm doing is I have uh, my top 12 list mm-hmm. where I have, this This is can do one of two things, okay? Okay. Either if you're more theologically inclined, right? This will excl- use theology to explain certain football terms. Okay. Or on the other hand, if you're football minded and less theologically minded, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to use, you can use these football terms to understand theology. So whatever you're stronger in, you know, and putting these two worlds together. So if you're more of a football guy, oh, okay, I understand this theology. Or if you're more a theology guy like you, oh, I understand this football term. I'm putting those two together. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a football guy. So. Okay. Because you would know who would be in the Super Bowl. If I was, yes. So the top 12, uh, Super Bowl or football theology terms. Peter. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right. uh, Number 12. Number 12. There is a term called an RPO, which is a run pass option. Okay. So what this means is a quarterback has the option when he's running the play. Okay, he can decide because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times in the huddle, they'll say, okay, this is a play we're doing. We're going to throw it or this is a play we're going to do. We're going to run it. An RPO is the quarterback can kind of read what's going on and he can choose either to hand the ball or to throw it, a run pass option. So he has, he has, he kind of goes by what he sees. Okay. So in other words, there is not really a wrong, right or wrong. It's, you know, the coach is saying, okay, you've got an option here. I'm not forcing you to either throw it or pass it. You have an option. And the theological term I'm, I'm equating this is kind of like adiaphora, where, <laughs> right? Sure, where, I can see it. You can see it. Where, I can see it. Where God's word doesn't necessarily say, you know, okay, you either run or you pass. You have an option here. You bow or you genuflect, right? <laughs> right. The, there's a little freedom in what you do here. Okay. And now that being said, there's freedom, but a lot of times there's still a right or wrong answer, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going by what the defense is giving you. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of a right and wrong answer. And so when you think of Adiaphora, they're still going through an idea, okay, God's word doesn't specifically say, however, I'm this... going to think this through and see what actually reading the situation is better. Mm-hmm. So so to say that there's an RPO, a run pass option, doesn't mean there's no wrong answer necessarily. But it's saying that scripture doesn't say, so So use your available intellect 
make decisions that's best and God please. Okay. Like an adiaphora. Adiaphora. All right. All right. Is that, is that how, how are you liking this? Is that explaining the, this, these terms? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if someone's watching the Super Bowl theologically minded and they hear an RPO, they like, oh. Oh, adiaphora. Adiaphora. That's right. Number 11. Throw the flag. Okay. The penalty flag. Right? Uh, in other words, a, a referee will throw a flag when a penalty of some sort has occurred. Mm-hmm. And people argue about it, but guess guess whose word goes? The referees. Yeah. Right? The referee. You can't change it. Right? Uh, we'll talk about there is a, in a way you can use it, but I'm going to use it in a different way. The, the ultimate final word is the referee. Mm-hmm. Right? So what do you think the theological ter- idea behind the throwing the flag? Is the authority of scriptures. Sure. Right? You can argue with it. You can say, I don't think that was a penalty. And you can, you can make all your excuses on why you did it, why you held, uh, held the lineman or, or why you uh, intentionally grounded the ball. Okay? You can argue, but ultimately, whose word rules? Scripture. Scripture, right. And a lot of times people argue with the call, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. I mean, you can argue with the word of God. You can say it's unfair or unjust all you want. But, that doesn't make you right. But the one who judges it is his opinion is, is the one that matters. Yeah. So, so he's going to throw that flag. Right. He is the authority. Right. Number 10, the challenge flag. Okay. So what the challenge flag is, is when you have to go back to replay. Like what really happened? Okay. Was the receiver out of bounds when he caught it or not? Did he get the first down or not? Did he fumble or not? We're not really sure what happened. And so you use a challenge flag to take a closer look at what happened. And this is done. It doesn't change the rules of the game that the referee does, you know, Mm -hmm. and the judgments he makes. It's just a matter of clarifying it. I mean, it does change if they make the wrong call. But in this context, God doesn't make the wrong call. Right. So what I'm using the challenge flag, the idea of instant replay, is the second use of the law, <laughs> the mirror, right? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Right, so you kind of go back in your mind, replay what actually happened. <laughs> you know, how, how have I betrayed the Ten Commandments? Going through an instance or a situation where maybe there was an argument Throw mm-hmm. the challenge flag, see what time, kind of, what did I do? How did my love for someone or my lack of trust in God and his word failed in this situation? You're kind of throwing the challenge flag to yourself and kind of really going back and seeing what actually happened and how you need forgiveness. Throw in the challenge flag. Make sense? Makes sense. I like it. Number nine, the Hail Mary. You know, you, this one's pretty easy, right? You could you could probably understand what this is, mm-hmm. like a prayer. <laughs> yeah, I, that's kind of what I figured you were right. going to do. Right. So yeah. So this is not a reference to praying to Mary in this context. Yeah, not that's the where it came from, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, the original understanding of this is, you know, Mary's got a lot of a lot of grace, right? Mm-hmm. And you need a lot of grace to to get this uh, this sixty yard end zone pass to try and tie or win the game. She's got some some to spare. So right, 
So Hail Mary is, you know, asking Mary to please help us out on here. Yeah. And uh, now the way it is, 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 is a, just simply prayer. Generally. Generally. Right. And by the way, I think uh, I'll tell you how this is misunderstood often. Okay. Okay. Sometimes a Hail Mary is, they'll say, well, we're going to go by faith and uh, mm. we're going to throw a Hail Mary and I'll, we're not sure how we're going to pay for our new, new church building, but we're going to, in faith, throw a Hail Mary. <laughs> right? Maybe you've seen this. I, you know, I think of this every time I drive uh, across Illinois in 80. Did you ever do that before? Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, but like, it's like like a half hour before you get to the Quad Cities and Interstate 80 in Illinois. Okay, yeah. There's this big skeleton of a church, like a metal frame, mm-hmm. where you could tell they just ran out of money. <laughs> right? They threw a Hail Mary. Oops. And It wasn't answered. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, just this blank frame that a never finished church building. That's unfortunate. Number eight. Um, so there is a penalty called uh, illegal touching, where if uh, if uh, you run out of bounds on a pass play and then you come back in and or you're the first one to touch the ball, that's illegal touching. Or okay. if it's a, a squib kick, okay? okay? I should have done a squib kick, but because uh, <laughs> it's just fun to say squib kick. Squib kick. Uh, and uh, you're trying to get an onside kick. If, you, if the, the kicking team touches it before it hits the 10-yard line, 10 yard passes 10 yards, then you illegally touched the ball, illegal touching. Okay. And so I use this to help us understand the sixth commandment. <laughs> Somehow I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> illegal touching. Now, um, we would say this penalty is when it comes to the sixth commandment, Includes not just touching, but the heart as well. So oh, bear okay. that in mind. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if you if you hear if you're watching the the Super Bowl and you hear illegal touching, you think, oh, it's like the sixth commandment. <laughs> okay. Number seven. Pass interference. Pass interference. Yes. So what pass interference is? Let's say uh, I am the quarterback and I'm throwing the the ball to the wide receiver, okay? Okay. And the ball's in the air, and before the the receiver can catch it, the defender pushes him or holds him or knocks him around a little bit before the ball gets there. He's interfering with the receiver's ability to catch the ball. Mm-hmm. So it's pass interference. Makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I use this as a way of understanding how we hear the word of God. You know, okay. Of, of not getting, letting obstacles stand in the way of you hearing God's word, putting all sorts of various interference. I guess uh, the parable, for example, is kind of like that, right? Yeah. Or like the circumcision party comes to mind. Right. How? Because they're putting an obstacle. You have, this is something you have to do in order to become a Christian. They're putting right. an obstacle in front of what you have to do. Okay. Which is... Because that could have gone a whole, a whole lot of different angles. <laughs> yes. So, all right. But pass interference. Uh, so when you, if you hear pass interference called, oh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, building, making the paths, the highways a little less straight, a little more mountains, more valleys. Scandalizing the least of these. So that's of right. That's right. Number six. 
It's a, a phrase that announcers will use that I think is funny all the time. What's that? Uh, is they'll say something like the defensive line can really pin their ears back. Okay. Meaning that uh, that they can really uh, Run. they can really uh, like get their go after the quarterback with with reckless abandon. Okay. They can really pin their ears back. Uh, that they can just they have nothing stopping them. Okay. Like they're on the hunt, kind of. Right. Yeah. And and I'm not sure where it comes from. I've never known anybody to pin their ears back. Well, I mean, animals do that. Right. Well, I do know someone had some kind of ears that, uh, you know, well, at least she could tuck her hair behind her ears like really easily, you know? Anyways, that's, that's a feature, not a bug. Right. <laughs> right. So, so uh, here, the, the theology, theological idea I have behind pinning your ears back is the freedom of the gospel. Okay. Because you have freedom knowing that all of God's law has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. When it comes to loving your neighbor, there's no no hindrance anymore. Yeah. You can pin your ears back in, in your love for God and others. Not doing it away and that that you feel as though you have to earn salvation or earn God's favor, but simply for the sake of your neighbor, you can pin your ears back and really go after the work that God has given you to do in the freedom of the gospel. You could bear fruits and in keeping with... uh, That's right. Bear fruit and pin your ears back. There's your title, Peter. (laughs) Number six. First down. Okay. This is a reference to... So when a first down comes it's like clean slate okay first down 10 yards to go okay and uh this is how i how i would understand each day as a child of god in your baptism oh sure yeah you know like whatever happened the, the before it's all kind of behind you now mm-hmm. today is a day it's the first and 10 a brand new start You've put you've put to death the old Adam, so that way the new new man may that's right. rise again. Yeah, that's right. Until you reach the end zone, <laughs> huh? Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. good. Uh, so no punting. <laughs> Number five, the end zone. Hey, there you go. Right? Yeah. Uh, the end zone is the kind of the goal mm-hmm. of an offensive uh, pursuit in football. You're trying to get the ball in the end zone, and so that is a reference to. Heaven? Heaven, right. Running the race, fighting the good fight? Uh, yes. Yeah. The whole the whole purpose of it. And by the way, it is the thing about football in the end zone is we might say that a certain player gets in the end zone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Brock Purdy scrambles out of the pocket to score a touchdown in the end zone. But it's something that also the whole team is concerned about that person. Right. The one person does it, but the whole team gets the point. Right. Right. And and the whole, the team is concerned about their player as well. So not only is it a reference to getting the ball in the end zone in the individual, mm-hmm. but it's a reminder as a church, yeah, we work together and it's a team effort in proclaiming and teaching God's word to get someone in. The end zone. Right. Yeah, it's a community effort effort in loving right. your neighbor. Because if, if it was just, if the Christian faith was just about me getting into the end zone or you getting in the end zone, uh, 
if it was just an individual pursuit, which was what American Christianity loves to do, just me and Jesus, I can find Jesus by praying to him out in a boat in the middle of nowhere and never going to church, right? They're, oh, yeah. Yeah. Way too familiar with that, yeah. Right. That, that, that's, uh, that's not team football. No, it's quite need, the opposite. Right, right. It's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you remember, Chris Christian had this horrible idea, Pastor Chris Christian. Where it was just football and Jesus program. Where, yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah, where he gave uh, the local children in the area an opportunity to to uh, run a, a kickoff against real Division One football players. Um, and uh, how'd that go for them? Yeah, not real well. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Not real well uh, because you actually need a team. Number four, overtime. Okay, what overtime is? Uh, the game, you thought the game was going to be over? Guess what? It can't end yet. It's, it's not done yet. Got a little extra time, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the theo- theological idea that I have behind overtime is the fact that we all have, and if you're, people have all an opportunity that, uh, oh, I could have died there, like every time you drive, <laughs> right? Right. You know, or everyone may might think of a time, for example, I think of how all the times I could have drowned when I was a young boy in the bathtub, <laughs> right? Right. Because <laughs> I thought I could breathe underwater. You know, yeah. uh, I kind of was given overtime, new opportunities. And uh, this should be a reminder to the, the Christian, although when the game is over, the game is over for sure. But you might get an un- unexpected overtime where like, oh, today's a new opportunity to hear God's word. To repent. Right. Remember, you are you are dust, and to dust you shall go. So act accordingly. Right. And be thankful for all the overtime he gets you. That's right. <laughs> you should be thankful for every right. moment that he gives. Yeah. I, I, not, originally, I was thinking of this in terms of a near-death experience. Or like a deathbed confession or something like that. Right. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, yeah, near-death experiences, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, they're kind of weird. They're a little slippery. Right. Number three, unnecessary roughness. Okay. Okay. What this is, is it might be confusing to the per people watching the game because like, aren't you trying to hurt people? Right. <laughs> it's their idea, right? <laughs> that kind of seems like the goal sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah where uh, what un- unnecessary roughness is, is uh, they understand that the game is rough, mm-hmm. but, but unnecessary roughness means at a certain time whether the play is over and you were rough in a time that was unnecessary Mm -hmm. because that would insinuate that there is necessary roughness, right? (laughs) Right, and and an appropriate time to be rough. Right, right. right. So unnecessary roughness would be going above and beyond kind of, and I think the church can do this sometimes where where either we're, we're too rough without preaching the gospel Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. Or, or you could just think of it in the terms of uh, uh, the fifth commandment. Yeah. Or the eighth commandment. Right. But uh, the idea being that um, uh, you want to, the goal in this is not to hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. And that's actually not what you're trying to do in football. You're trying to tackle them right. or block them. You're not actually trying to hurt them. And if you actually watch football, you could tell that they realize that, that, at certain times now sometimes they they really they try and make a point because they're trying to win the game they're trying to intimidate mm-hmm. but if you watch closely you could tell that they realize that everyone they're playing this is this is how they 
they make their money, this is their living, and they really don't try and hurt each other. Yeah, they don't want to retire early. Right, right. Number two. Prevent defense. Prevent defense? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so um, what prevent defense is, is say you're kind of winning the game and uh, you just don't want them to get a touchdown in a particular play, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say it's the end of a quarter or end of the half or the end of the game. You're, You're up by six and you don't want the other team to score a touchdown, but they only have like maybe like a small handful of plays left to score a touchdown. So they play prevent defense where they all kind of stand back a little bit. They'll let them have uh, a few yards, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, but they don't want them in any way to, to, to actually score a touchdown. They're preventing a touchdown more than they are preventing a few runs here and there. Okay, sure. And so what I, what I the theological term I have behind prevent defense is um, – how we should play prevent defense when it comes to temptation. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. Because ultimately, you you might say when it comes to temptation, you know, I I I we like to think of ourselves I can be strong when it comes to temptation, and then we allow ourselves to be put placed in in places and times of temptation. We leave the door open. Mm-hmm. We don't play prevent defense like we should. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, so if you know your your weaknesses are certain times or certain places or certain ways or certain situations to play a little prevent defense and before that it ever happens so you're not in a position. Yeah, I mean that's that's like a super great piece of advice cuz like you know you're you're tempted in one way or another just don't put yourself in that situation right. and you won't be tempted, right? Right. I mean it's, it's like a, a good, good discussion for someone going to college. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because there's plenty of temptation for right. <laughs> whatever. Right. You might want to play a little prevent defense on this, boy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And number one. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm living dangerous on this one, Vicar, because um, uh, I think the word Super Bowl is trademarked, like, Oh, is it? Yeah. So you're not really supposed to use the word Super Bowl without the express written consent of the NFL. But I'm they're not going to come after this podcast. Yeah, they're they're afraid of the clerical heirs army. No way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? Where am I going to the Super Bowl? Channel your inner vicar, your inner seminarian. Well, bowl makes me think bowl of something. So bowl of water yes baptism that's right super bowl that's right <laughs> except the only the difference is the super bowl in football happens at the at the end the super bowl in christianity happens at the beginning at the beginning the granddaddy of them all <laughs> that's the rose bowl never mind <laughs> but you knew that <laughs> yeah yeah i totally knew that yeah all right so that is my top 12 list now okay. uh we need to move on did we did i leave you enough time for your fun stuff uh i know this would probably take about 10 minutes okay if you want i mean we can do this like right at the beginning of the next one um we're only at 45 minutes let us um yeah why don't we get started okay if we don't finish completely by the time our 615 starts we can pause and come back pause it and come back yeah okay yeah that's fine so as we have promised the you had to sit through all that listener pastors who are 
Maybe hopefully you didn't just fast forward because you're anxiously trying to get your Lenten series together. So so Vicar is doing his public service announcements for the sake of of the pastors who have not done that yet. One thing I will say is for Ash Wednesday and Holy Week, we use the propers. So if you're listening, wanting to do, wondering what you should do, do the propers for for Ash Wednesday and for Holy Week, okay? Yes, do. Yes. If if uh, you want those, you'll have to listen to a different podcast <laughs> for your midweek Lenten service. Says So this is the five weeks between Holy Week and Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday. The five here will be the Wednesdays, but uh, the five midweek services, those. So, Vicar, uh, what is your theme? My general theme is just the theology of the body. Just, you know, noticing things around in the world today, how there's a big confusion around, you know, human sexuality, things like transgenderism and all that going on. I really wanted to just pick this topic to do sort of a deep dive and look at how we as, as human beings should view this creation that we've been given, how we should view our bodies, how we should view ourselves in relation to others and in relation to our creator. So that's, that's my, that's my theme is the theology of the body. Okay. All right. Yep. And so I have that split up into five sort of topics or subtopics. So the first week I'll give you the subtopics and then I'll go into each one individually. So the first week I have as who has God created us to be? So understanding us as, as a creation, what, what had God intended and what, what, how should we understand that? So secondly, the second week is what is sin? How do we understand what sin is? How does it, um, how, how does it infect us and how do we understand ourselves in light of who God created us to be now with this sin? Well, go back to the first one. So what readings do you have? Okay. So pastors, get your pens out. (laughs) So for the first reading, it's Genesis 1, 26 through 31. So it's the first creation account. It's day six uh, where God created male and female. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to mostly point out that God created them, he blessed it, and that he declared it good. So this is a good creation in the eyes of God. This was not an accident. These are this is not something to be played with, that this is this is God's good creation that was given to us. Now for the second reading I with John one uh, one through eighteen. So everyone knows that in the beginning it was the word, the words was mm-hmm. with God, all the way through the word became flesh. So um want to talk about how Christ, you know, God himself took on flesh. So not only was it good, but then it was sanctified post fall. It was sanctified and made good again. And now our flesh, even though we are sinful now, is still good. Corrupted, but corrupted. That's corrupted. Yes, but good. Um, And then for the Psalm, I picked Psalm 139 for you formed me, formed me in my inward parts, right? In your book, it was written every day that was formed for me, that sort of language. Okay. Now for the second one, what is sin? The first reading is Genesis 3, 8 through 19. So we've got the curses, right? This isn't Adam and Eve eating. It's God's reaction to that. It's the curses that they give. So this is the actual imputation or the, the curse that comes along with sin. So... Genesis 3.18, 3.8-19. Of course, you also have the first statement of the gospel there, right? Mm -hmm. I will put enmity between you and your offspring. Uh, Now, for the second reading, I have Romans 5.12-21. So you've got, in one man came death, now in this new man comes life, right? 
mm-hmm. disobedience versus obedience, that sort of a, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then for the Psalm, I have 130, right? That's where we get the hymn from depths of woe, I, I cry to thee, right? He says, if you, O Lord, should count iniquities, who, O Lord, could stand, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you should be feared. Mm-hmm. Now, for the third section, it's titled, What Does It Mean to Be Human? So now we've talked about uh, what has God created us to be, how we have changed that now that we have sin involved. So now what does it mean to be human? What is this human condition? So for by, that- By the way, if uh, if I hear, I can imagine if it slips out once, but please don't talk about human creatures. That's a- Why would I do that? Because I hear that all the time. It drives me crazy. There's, I mean, they basically mean the same thing. I know, but there's such a, a emphasis, like I hear all the time of theological emphasis of how we are human creatures and the catechism, the new catechism uses that a lot. Oh, no, I wasn't it, planning it, on doing that. You know, I'm thinking nanu nanu, human creatures. <laughs> no. Right. Okay. Anyways. I won't do that. Okay. So what does it mean to be it's human? It's an old man pet peeve. Don't worry about it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So for the first reading i have numbers six one through eight so here you've got moses or excuse me god speaking to moses telling him to go to pharaoh you've got the plagues about to happen um oh wait this is numbers excuse me not exodus yeah so god's speaking to moses and he said he's telling him i am the lord i am the one who's going to bring you out from your burdens i'm going to take you to be my people and i will be your god So there's this aspect of being chosen. Not only has God made you, but he has chosen you. He has chosen to be in relationship with you, that you are his people and he is your God. Mm -hmm. We can take great comfort in that. And so the second reading I have is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It talks about a need for repentance, that God has chosen us, but yet because of this sin that we have, it's necessary to live a life of repentance, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So talking about the necessity for repentance. And I think that goes along quite well with the fact that it's Lent, right? Right. So the Psalm, I have Psalm three, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So talking about how Salvation is not something that can be attained by a human, by himself, by a human creature, by himself. <laughs> but it is it is a work of God that is given to you freely. Uh, you're fired. <laughs> All right. So section four, I have it titled, how will, how will it be remedied? How will the human condition be sort of fixed, if you will? Mm-hmm. So first reading is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, where he talks about the day of the Lord and the conflagration, right? How our story doesn't end with, with heaven, ends with the new creation, with the new heavens and the new earth. So I want to bring about this idea that, that the day of the Lord is, has not finished, that it's still coming. And for my second reading, to go along with this, I've got Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You've got the, the souls and the martyrs underneath the, the altar asking God, how long, how long will it be until you avenge our, our, our death? And he responds with, he responds by giving them robe, white robes so that they may rest a little while longer saying, once your number has been completed, 
then all these things will take take place. So once once heaven is filled, right, then mm-hmm. the then the end times will happen. So going along with that, I've got Psalm 13, which is, you know, how long how long will thou forget me, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Uh, mm-hmm. So crying out to God, how long until these things happen? Until you you come to us. Now, lastly, now that we've talked about our physical bodies, we're going to talk about being a part of the body of Christ. So the last session, last section is what is the body of Christ? For my first reading, I have 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's quite an obvious statement of you are the body of Christ. Right. Uh, now, how do we, what do we do within that body of Christ? How do we understand it? I have for the second reading Hebrews 10, 19 through 31, where the author to Hebrew to the Hebrews tells us not neglect the meeting together, the mm-hmm. gathering, the gathering together, where this is where the body of Christ we meet together at mm-hmm. at church. This is what we do and we act as as a unit. Right. What I, what I like about this is uh, I like how in the episode we've talked about the importance of God's word, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And how your your thing that your your Lenten series here is actually tying into the physical aspect because a lot of people think of Christianity as just spiritual outside the physical realm. Exactly, which uh, is one of the reasons why I wanted to focus on the theology of the body because people can spiritualize this as much as they want and totally forget the fact that this is this is a physical reality. And and the reason I thought it would be good for um uh for the pastors if you're listening and you want to use this we didn't really hear, he didn't really get very specific on all the various topics to get into, but in this, these, it gives you a chance to talk about all the things he mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, what does it mean to have a physical body or a spirit, you know, to be a part of a body? What does it mean that you will rise again? It gives you an awful lot to talk about what our bodies are, what they're used for, how they were created, and all the issues that have to come with a body. You can even talk about things like self-harm. Yeah. Um, and how, in a sense, it's a way of like uh, kind of harming what God has given you, thinking that it's the body itself that is the problem rather than the right. corruption. You know, right. yeah. a whole host of things that you can bring up that is pertinent to your own situation, too, because every congregation is different. Exactly. Yeah, this can be tailor-made to address whatever right. problems that need to be. Right. So if it's... So, Self-harm for example, I think he, he Vicar wanted to do this to because I was thinking about getting some face tattoos. And that's and, totally why I did this. And so he said, ah, "I've I got to do something about this." <laughs> well, Vicar and I have a meeting to go to, so we are going to have to end it here. Whirlwind of a show, got a little football knowledge, yeah. got a little discussion on the text, a little sowing the seeds. So uh, next time we will have Berg, and uh, next time will be our Super Bowl spectacular. Yeah. So, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. Vicar. And may your bulls be super. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.